Welcome to Digital Done Right, where we talk all things digital and automation marketing. My name is Dustin Trout, and with me is Brian Barrett, owner of OCT Performance Marketing and Automated Digital. And today we're going to be talking about serving our clients through performance marketing and what that means. And uh, I'm excited because we're about to kick off a three-part series, this being the first, and talk all things e-commerce. So um, over the next three episodes, we'll talk about the history, the current trends, and what that means for the future. So um, to kind of kind of kick it off, I mean, Brian, what is e-commerce to you? <laughs> well, it's certainly evolved over the years, but and it's kind of become status quo. But you know, I think everyone gets what it is just buying stuff online. I think uh, the ease at which it happens and the accessibility has certainly changed. And I mean. We'll use the word Amazon a lot, but they've revolutionized how e-commerce is done. And certainly uh, with COVID, it's just accelerated the adoption of e-commerce. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, it's everyone associates e-commerce with buying products. Um, but one thing I'm kind of seeing, especially through COVID, is uh, the, the influx or increase of people offering their services through, through e-commerce. Uh, I, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? It's a bit tough, but... Yeah, no, it's a, it's been really cool to see how companies have shifted and created a lot of content right away. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm thinking of the various, you know, the fitness industry or virtual events or telemedicine, all those, um, you know, especially uh, I'll just use uh, the fitness industry, for example, in general, I mean, there's a lot of smaller players in that space and it's remarkable on how quickly they've turned their in-person business to, you know, really simple reasonable production quality, you know, workout routines. Um, so that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And when it, when it comes to dropshipping, I mean, there's, there, there's multiple types of what are not dropshipping e-commerce. That's, that's one type that I'm about to go over, but, uh, there are multiple ways that people are using e-commerce from retail to wholesaling to dropshipping, crowdfunding, subscription models, physical products, and, uh, digital products. Um, along with with services and and you know two that really stick out is is retail. Um, one, you know everything we're going through, you're seeing less foot traffic, so you're gonna need more um, more re or more e-commerce being done to maintain your your revenue. Um, and then digital products, and I think this kind of sticks out just because we're in digital marketing. But I mean, there's so many how tos and guides and basically different forms of downloadable content um, that you could essentially sell. I'm seeing more and more of this where you're getting served ads from an agency on download our, our agency blueprint, a 120 page, whatever it is for seven 99. And, uh, you know, just what, what are your thoughts between how retail is, is pivoting, you know, from in-store foot traffic to, uh, um, e-commerce. Yeah. I'll, there's kind of two things you mentioned there. The first one is, um, in-person, you know, traditional, um, retail businesses, you know, like a Macy's or one of those, or, you know, a banana Republic who's out of business now. Uh, but you walk in and you try stuff on and it's that, you know, point of sale experience. Um, what has been interesting is you take companies like Bonobos or Warby Parker, or some of those who started off as, you know, uh, e-commerce businesses and now recently have transitioned to in-store businesses. And now given everything, It'll be interesting to see, um, obviously, the in-store business has probably fallen off precipitously, um, but it'll be interesting to see who survives because my guess is some of those companies have put a huge investment 
into spooling up their in-person business. And now that it's gone, you know, how much capital did they invest and are they able to, you know, stay afloat with their online business? So I, you know, I don't, I don't have those answers, but it, it will be interesting to see, you know, maybe all those companies still survive because they probably do most of their business online. Um, but again, they invested a ton, people, capital and all that sort of stuff. And then the second thing you mentioned was um, downloadable content and those sorts of things. Certainly there's, there's already a ton of content online. Um, but I think, you know, there's advantages, uh, obviously business development things, SEO things. Um, but what I found is a lot of the content isn't unique and isn't, isn't really valuable. Um, so it's kind of hard to weed through even when, you know, we're doing research for a client or something like that. Like a lot of it is just repurposed content from others, or it's like skirting the surface. So I think it's made from a consumer or business perspective, having to be a little bit more cautious on where they get information from. One thing that you're mentioning is a lot of content that's out there. Uh, people can see it through SEO, um, all that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, you can go find it, but it's not piecemealed to you. And I think that's where it's like, you can, you can give your thought leadership or give your thoughts on everything to help out with SEO, but then lead them to where it's like, I mean, you can go and try and find it and spend a hundred hours. You'll eventually piece it all together or for $10, $20, $40 or whatever it is. It's like, here's your guide on, on how to do it from start to finish. And I think, uh, I think it's, it's pretty under leverage. I mean, especially like what we do, it's all IP and, and knowledge and, and, uh, you know, I think there's so much power. I mean, we're, we're doing this and sure people can go and go episode to episode and try and figure it out where it's like, if, if we had a whole plan on the history of e-commerce all the way to building the store, to how to advertise products and, and give more direction, it's like, you can get paid for that. And then essentially you're giving someone the tools to do it. it. It's like most people will probably figure it out, but you're going to have a handful that doesn't. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, you guys obviously know what you're doing. I'd love for you guys to do this for me. So it's like, it's almost like you can use e-commerce to generate revenue, building your sales pipeline. Um, it's like, mm -hmm. sure. I mean, you know, you're gonna make a profit selling that digital piece of content, but all of a sudden you're, you're now, you know, making money selling that, which then fills up your pipeline. Yeah, I think, you know, you look back in history, companies like Shopify and WordPress, I mean, those started in the early 2000s. And I think that's a kind of a good example of sort of what you're saying is those platforms came about um, to obviously provide a new service to people online from a business perspective and a customer perspective. But they opened up tools um, for the average consumer to start businesses, launch websites and those sort of sort of things. So they provided, you know, thought leader, not just thought leadership, but to, what you're saying is like an end to end solution of we'll show you what e-commerce means. And then we'll actually provide you a platform. We'll train you on the platform. And you know what, if you can't do it, you know, we've got this list of professional service providers that'll help you build your website, help you set up a Shopify site and that sort of thing. Now that was you know, early 2000s and you know, we're two decades later. And certainly those platforms have um, evolved and become more user-friendly and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, from an agency perspective, I mean, we see this, you know, easy example is email marketing. Yeah, everyone can use like a MailChimp or a campaign monitor or one of those. But 99% of the time, we end up implementing it for customers because, you know, it's one more thing that they have to do and they can't learn a new platform.
Yep. No, I mean, especially right now, it's just like you got 500 platforms you got to try and manage. Um, but I mean, speaking more on on the history, I mean, it, it, you know, going through some of these numbers, you know, doing some research here, it, it kind of blows my mind in terms of how long e-commerce has actually been around. I mean, granted, it's nowhere near, you know, when it started, nowhere near what it is today. But I mean, do you have any ideas on on timelines of whenever the first like major e-commerce company was started or founded? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it is fascinating. Go through like Wikipedia and see the actual history and, you know, the beginning of the internet. And, you know, they started in universities and, and um, the, you know, Department of Defense and stuff as a way to house information and people to communicate and uh, uh, more or less communicate and transfer information pretty quickly. But from a consumer perspective, um, I, I found some interesting stats about how we got here and the two a few of the major things that changed how we how we do things today. One is the adoption of technology. So for example, 10% of households had connected devices uh, two decades ago. Now it's 98% of households. So technology had to evolve. And then without the, you know, I'll just call it bandwidth, um, technology is, was kind of useless. So that's pre pretty fascinating, like 1994, 1995. You know, dial-up was the thing. It was 56K, uh, and now, it, you know, it's 56K per second, and now it's one gig per second. So it used to take, you know, three to five days to download a movie, and now it takes, and now it takes 80 seconds. So I think when you pair technology with, you know, the ability, you know, just the, I'll call it the, the pipeline, you know, then you get a whole new slew of businesses and opportunities for consumers to buy stuff to transact online. Yeah, I mean, you bring up some really good points and stuff that I didn't even think about when it comes to download speeds, when it comes to, um, I mean, that's the part that I didn't, I didn't really uh, uh, think about. I mean, you have all this cool stuff, but if it takes you a week to download, you know, your TV guide, it's like, eh, it's not really practical. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, some of the, the timelines, like, for example, uh, you know, 1969, the first major e-commerce e company um, was founded and, you know, CompuServe. And, you know, going through the years, it, it, it starts picking up steam, but really, you know, noticeably starting in 1995, that's when Amazon and eBay launched, 98, you had PayPal, 1999, you have Alibaba, 2000, Google Ads. And it's like, you know, to me, it's like, man, this is 20 years old. It's not, you know, it's not brand new. It's not, you know, baby-ish, but I still feel like, you know, the adoption is still still not there. It amazes me how many, you know, people aren't leveraging technology and data and all that. But, uh, um, you know, with COVID going on, I, I will say it's probably one of the, the blessings in disguise, I, I'd say, is, uh, I mean, it's definitely kicked digital transformation and adoption um, into, into high gear. Um, you know, some other noticeable ones, 2011 Google Wallet launches. Um, Facebook ads are, yeah, Facebook ads launched in 2011, 2017, Instagram shoppable posts. I mean, we're, we're definitely picking up steam. I mean, there's, there's less years in between as new things are rolling out. Um, but I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on how the evolution of this timeline? I mean, some of these companies that were, were nothing are now, I mean, literally the, the top five companies of the S and P and, and, uh, you know, doing quite a bit. Yeah, you know, you mentioned like CompuServe. <clears throat> I mean, you know, Silicon Valley got it. All these companies got their roots there. Um, obviously, it's still a hub for not just investment for the companies themselves. <clears throat> you know, CompuServe was the first email platform. Um, we've all heard of like Prodigy. You know, that's kind of gone away. 
Then you have Netscape, who was an early search engine, and we all probably know Mozilla, which was uh, one of Netscape's products. And it seems like, well, in looking at the founders of those, they haven't, those companies have gone away, but their technology has persisted. Um, and the and the people who started those companies, they're not running those companies anymore, but some of their employees, or we're a couple of generations removed now, employees, 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 still run those companies. But now the folks who started those companies are now like significant investors in the next breed. Um, so there's been a, it's been a commitment to technology on the early uh, founders of internet and e-commerce, and they're still in the game and their initial employees are still in the game. So it's like you said, um, this stuff's just been building and it's in the, certainly the adoption and technology cycles going faster and faster, you know, Moore's law. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, when it comes to, to e-commerce in general, I mean, do you find yourself buying more now than, than ever before? I mean, how, you personally, I mean, how, how, how has the history and, and where we are today, how is that kind of evolved? Were you a early adopter and, and purchasing early on or? Yeah, that's uh, interesting. We were just talking about the other day in 2003, I started an eBay store. Like I had a job and I'm like, I was into cycling and I'm like, Oh, I want to get some, you know, some bike parts. And I used to buy a lot on eBay just cause it was easy. And there wasn't like, I couldn't get to bike stores. And I talked to this guy who had a pretty cool eBay store and I said, Hey, where do you get everything for so cheap? And he was going, he was bypassing the U S distributor for certain parts and going straight to Taiwan. So he hooked me up with that like direct connection. So I started selling some stuff. He started selling some stuff. And what I, what I learned from that was, wow, all of a sudden I have a, a online audience. Um, I can sell it for less expensive, less expensively than the competitors. Uh, because I was connected directly with Taiwan, which was fascinating. And then within probably six months, the U.S. distributor was like, hey, 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 who are you? What are you doing? Um, but it was cool. I mean, I started an eBay store at the time. It seemed like there was tons of competition and it was like a big deal. But now looking back, I mean, look at all the eBay stores now and how easy they they uh, they they make it to list things and manage money and all these sorts of things, create invoices, manage inventory. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that was then. So I guess I've kind of been an early adopter. I mean, I'm not like on the bleeding edge of making the technology at all. Like I don't make a lot of tech. I'm not a programmer or a product developer. Um, but I mean, I think my consumer behavior is very similar to a lot of people, um, at least in my, my peer group, you know, Amazon showing up in my house all the time. <laughs> and what, what, I mean, what are some of the biggest learnings from that? It's super interesting. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I know some people have went through the, you know, selling stuff on eBay, definitely not as early as you did, but I mean, any, any light you can shed on, I mean, the customer experience and how it's kind of evolved since then. I mean, were there a lot of customer service requests on where's my stuff or, or anything like that? Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny. I haven't really reflected on it, but it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff that it is as it is today. A good description of your product being super clear about how much it is, how much shipping costs, uh, when people can expect to get it. If a customer call, you know, not calls, emails in or sends a message in, like you just get on it. You don't give them a, some sort of canned robotic, mm. you know, response, which has become the norm. And, you know, it's super frustrating. Um, and just, you know, be honest and either say it's on the way or crap, I messed up. I didn't ship it yet. Or if 
I, hey, I shipped the wrong product. You know, I'll give you a credit or send it back to me. I'll send you the right thing. I mean, you know, in hindsight, it was it was just normal customer service stuff. And, you know, thinking now that personal touch, I mean, you need robots to like scale a business to, mm-hmm. to those large sizes. But there's so many businesses that are significantly smaller than, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Google, and the like. So I, I just, the biggest learning is, you know, there are tools to run business yourself. They've gotten a whole lot better. You do have to learn them. So there is a time commitment. It does take time to spool up um, to actually make money that you can sustain a lifestyle on. But the customer service rules really haven't changed at all. Yep. No, and I agree. At the end of the day, someone buys it. I think what what helps uh, maintain those sales and and gets people to come back is that customer service. And I think um, you know people are catching on. It's not just oh cool, I got a store. People are going to come by. It's it's you still got to treat the customer well. And and I think more and more people are picking that up. How to market the the products. Um, but yeah, definitely definitely an early adopter there. That's that's cool. Well, I mean, and there's there's another thing which was kind of startling is you know we're prepping uh, for this conversation. You know, e-commerce still only accounts for like 16% of retail. I mean, it, it's certainly had exponential growth. And my guess is it's probably, and it, and it has kicked up because of COVID and it'll probably persist. You know, uh, there's all sorts of studies now, but 35%, this was a, a recent one, 35% of folks who have changed their behavior because of COVID are going to stick around. So I think the exponential growth curve has even gotten steeper. Um, but I mean, that. I don't look at it as an opportunity. I look at it as let's just be real about internet and e-commerce. I know we're in that space, but it's only 16% of retail sales. That's still small. I mean, there is an opportunity there, but let's be realistic. I mean, that's what blows my mind. Cause I mean, going back, uh, you know, some of the the stuff I'm looking at 2007, it only accounted for, uh, you know, three and a half percent. So to go from three and a half to, uh, to where we're at now, which is at 18%, I mean, it is a big jump, but I mean, in terms of how much technology has come out and the adoption of technology and, and how quickly, I mean, we can watch YouTube TV now and we can get rid of cable and watch our TV through YouTube and stuff like that. In terms of how it's, it's grown, it has been quick, but for how much it accounts for overall transactions and just uh, uh, retail, I mean, it, it blows my mind how, how just small it really is. Um, I know you mentioned, mentioned Shopify even then, it's uh, you know, they only they actually account for six percent of all online transactions. And I mean, how much do you think? You know, you you mentioned eBay, but some of these other other tools like Shopify. I mean, how much do you think that's going to expedite people? Um, you know, becoming stores and and whatnot. I mean, you have the evolution of Amazon that that allows sellers to get on there. Um, I mean, what do you think? Is not so much preventing it, but why isn't it? You know, accounting for more when we know it's just more efficient um, way of shopping. Oh, you mean like the total percent of uh, e-commerce relative to in-person? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my peer group, I'm talking to a number of friends right now who are launching products from like consumables to, you know, digital scrapbooking stuff. I mean, these aren't businesses. I'm, you know, they're not agency clients. They're just friends who are picking my brain about stuff. And their first stop is, you know, it's not like create an online store because there's so much competition now. And this is a fun, uh, back in 94, there are 10,000 websites. Now there's 1.5 billion. It's interesting just to look. I mean, we know this, but the scale is fascinating. 10,000 websites in 94, 95 to 1.5 billion. So I think there is 
it's a bit daunting for someone to smart start a business, especially a small business, uh, using scrapbooking as an example. Like just because you're a good scrapbooker doesn't mean you're a good e-commerce expert. Now there certainly are tools like Shopify and you can get your stuff on eBay and you can sell direct through Amazon and those sorts of things, but actually that that's fine. But in order, you got to get like market share, you know, you got to get in front of customers, you got to build a Facebook audience, you know, you need all these things. And at the end of the day, there's just tons more competition. So I, I do kind of wonder back to the, uh, you know, creating content for B2B stuff. It, I do kind of wonder if, <clears throat> I mean, there's value in like everyone having their own opinions and everyone having their own stores, but it seems like, why do we need a thousand people talking about Facebook strategy? Is there a way we can like all get together and have, you know, 10 or like, uh, <laughs> you know, like a think, <laughs> yep. a think tank that is responsible for Facebook strategy? I mean, yep. there's lots of pros and cons, and I'm sure people are like, well, there's value and all this sort of stuff, but there's also value in providing customer utility. It doesn't help me if I'm trying to start a Facebook business. If I have to sift through a thousand different things, it'd be more beneficial for thought leaders and everything to come together and be like, this is, these are the 10 best ways. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do like what, what you were mentioning, looking back on eBay, it's uh you know, the customer service side, it's like, you know, people might just throw up a store, throw up some products and like, cool, I'm good. But it's like, do you have a clear description of, of who this is for, how it could be used when someone engages or has a question, are you able to answer it in, in a matter of minutes? Almost like someone that, that if I go to a, you know, a store to find clothes, you're going to have someone that comes up and, Hey, how can I help you? And it's, it's the customer service thing. And I think that that is a big thing that might be missing, which you're missing a huge part of the customer experience. And I think as people realize that just because it's digital doesn't mean you can forego all uh, um, customer service. That's when customers will feel more, you know, ease at ease to, to actually buy because they're being helped. And so I think part of it isn't so much, um, the consumer perspective, just not trusting it. It's just they might, there's not enough help to get them across the finish line to, to make that transaction. So I think outside of just the tools and uh, um, technology to create a store, I think it's just simply learning how to run a business and uh, how to serve your customers. Yeah, st standing out. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <clears throat> I mean, there are, there are very few things anymore that would prevent a customer, like super low switching costs. Like I can buy shoes, you know, Nike, Reebok, Adidas, and all these other new cool brands um, like that. I can search them like that, compare, you know, read people's comparisons, do my own comparisons, just like that. And there's literally nothing to make me like brand affinity and those sorts of things. Yeah, maybe if I'm a Nike guy or an Adidas guy, then I'm more likely to buy that sort of stuff. But I mean, you know, there's all sorts of new cool brands. Like I'm not just going to buy a single brand shorts or clothes forever. Like I want to try other stuff. And why would I, why would I keep going back or why would I choose one or the other? And it really comes down to like, is what I, is what I bought quality? Mm -hmm. um, is it, is the price reasonable? Obviously it's not about sales for me necessarily. Um, but when I get it and there's a problem, like is the customer service good? So those are really the only differentiating things anymore is, um, it kind of seems even more like to be successful, you gotta be really laser focused on a niche. You know, it's like, I'm thinking of CrossFit apparel, like there are CrossFit specific apparel companies. Yeah. You could wear basketball shorts to do CrossFit, but now it's like there are specific products and services 
built around providing an excellent experience just for that super small niche of people. Yep. And I think part of it is people don't realize how much cost kind of goes into it. I mean, getting things up and running just because it's a, a digital store, it's not like it's only 20 bucks to get going. And part of that, and where I'm going with that is, uh, you know, some interesting facts with, with Amazon. I mean, how big they are. I mean, it, it's crazy. Bezos, what, made an extra $13 billion the other day. I mean, massed a, a huge amount of wealth. I mean, Amazon is huge. But when you look back, you know, they started in 1995. They didn't even make a profit in their first seven years. And so it's like, you know, how many of these people that are starting Etsy stores and, and uh, starting stuff? I mean, can they go that long, seven years without, you know, taking a profit from from the company and it's a lot of R&D, you know, figuring out customer service, UI, UX, and all that type of stuff. Um, but I mean, what are your thoughts on on that, you know, seven years, seven year timeline of, of making a profit? And I, you know, that might be the norm. Um, I'm not sure, but. Yeah, I mean, there's one Amazon, certainly when Amazon was getting its footing and stuff, there were lots of competitors. Um, and I think why, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why these companies succeed, but you know, any point in time during that seven years, Bezos could have been like, I'm done, you know, I'm done. But you know, he believed in it. He pushed through, uh, obviously they invested early in technology. So I think re being realistic about your expectations is super important and, you know, not to be corny, but you got to have passion for it. You got to stick with it. You know, it probably means having a day job uh, almost 100 percent of the time having a day <laughs> job um and then and then sticking with it and knowing when stuff's a sunk cost and you just got to pull the plug i mean we're all i mean not no one's gonna be amazon but that's a little bit to aspire to but um the good news is is from that there's been a lot of trickle down technology that you can go access and yeah. and i mean you mentioned platforms like etsy it allows a woodworker to be a woodworker. They provide a nice e-commerce platform, but you don't have to be good necessarily. I mean, you got to have a reasonable customer service aptitude, but you know, I think those are really nice platforms to run a small business off of. Yeah. And I mean, part of that, I think that's where Amazon really helped take off is, I mean, I go and make a store. It's like, you can't, you don't really have that much custom design yet. All that, they basically have it figured out. What is the checkout process? what needs to be where. And so you kind of leverage their, their knowledge on what gets someone to actually buy. Um, you know, with that though, there's, you know, hefty, hefty fees to sell, um, your product. And, and even the history of that, I mean, everyone's going to Amazon, but you know, recently Shopify just announced that they're, uh, they're dropping fees, making it three months for free and all that. And so it's, you got a ton of sellers that are leaving Amazon as uh, Amazon just up the, the commission to sell. And so, it, they definitely provide a lot of technology and uh, I'm excited to kind of see what competition comes in to help the consumer and, and see what happens from there. Yeah. One of the things that's a common thread throughout, I would say, you know, most successful businesses is they try a lot of stuff and keep what, keep what works. Like you've got to, you've got to be, take some risks. I mean, you mentioned like Google wallet and some of these other things, these other names that come up. I mean, there's been tons of, failures, tons of them, but it doesn't stop the successful companies. They just keep trying. You know, we talk about R and D a lot and continue to invest in R and D. I mean, that that's gotta be in your DNA. And I think for a small business, you're like, well, what does that mean? Um, you know, keep trying stuff. You know, there is no perfect, um, Google ad, 
Like <laughs> as soon as you think you have the perfect Google ad, it's not perfect anymore. You know, try different consumer segments. I mean, all these tools allow you to try different things. And I think it's, it is daunting to a lot of people, but just try, just try. And there's probably someone in your friend or family network who can at least point you in the right direction. Yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned R&D. I just saw something a day or two ago that talked about, was it Amazon, Facebook, and Google um, all in 2019 combined spent, I think it was like $290 billion just in R&D. And uh, it, it basically said like, next time you want to give up, how much have you invested into your company type of thing? Um, but yeah, I think that that's the biggest thing is uh, the R and D. But to your point, it's that's why most people that launch a store or anything e-commerce related, you're probably gonna have to have a full time job. You're gonna have to. It's education. You gotta an education isn't isn't free. You gotta invest into it. Um, but I, you know, as as that all evolves and, and there's more education and people kind of figure it out more, I think that's where we'll start seeing more transactions happen happen online. Um, you know, we've gone over quite a bit of the the history side. I mean, are there are there any big bullets or uh, takeaways that you kind of want to touch on a bit more yeah. whenever it comes to history? Yeah, I was I was uh, reminded of a book that Jim Collins wrote a little bit uh, ago called Built to Last, and they did a six year research project on looking at you know like major major <clears throat> like Dow size companies on what made some stick and what some fail. Uh, so for example, like GE succeeded in their industry where Westinghouse, like where did they go? Hewlett Packard succeeded Texas Instruments. They were a competitor. Where did they go? Nordstrom's succeeded Melville Corporation. Like where did they go? Sony <laughs> succeeded Kenwood. Like where'd Kenwood go? Walmart and Ames. Like where did Ames go? And they're like, there are like five things, which I think apply to any size business. It's you got to make it more than just about you. Like a lot of these now Bezos is big and Zuckerberg is big and Elon Musk are big, but they have like major teams that have come up through the ranks. So while they are the masthead, they have to design. And my guess is that time will tell. But one of the reasons they could or couldn't succeed is because it has to be more than the visionary. Um, another key thing, which I thought was really, really good, was they all have cult-like cultures. Um, and, and I know like Southwest is used a lot, but that stuff's important. I mean, we talk about customer service and building that audience, um, you know, just being a generic widget maker, that doesn't, people can switch from widget to widget, but you know, social media has made it great to like build online audiences and be authentic. Um, so those are two, uh, really, really interesting things that stood out between, you know, companies that have made it through the test of time. Yep. No. And, and, uh, I, I totally agree. And I think what it comes down to is uh, uh, figuring out how to fill a, a need, solve a problem essentially, and, and doing that through the customer service. And, you know, I'm, I'm more excited to see how tools and more R&D and more just uh, figuring out e-commerce will lead uh, more people to, uh, to buy online. Yep. It's not about the software. Exactly. Exactly. Provide a good product or service. And so... You know, that being said, touched a lot on, on the history. And, and just as a reminder, this is a, a three-part series. And, and make sure to tune in to our next episode where we talk about the current trends of e-commerce. And, you know, if there's anything that you're looking for, more information when it comes to performance marketing or digital automation, Brian, how can you be reached? Uh, OCTPerformance.com and automated.digital. And how can people find you on LinkedIn? Type in your name. Type in my name, Ryan Barrett. Love it. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Digital Done Right. 
We'll see you on the next episode.